Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, the interesting thing about surgery is that, <clears throat> you know, the heat is turned up. Mm-hmm. So... Something that you would um, maybe wake up and and consider maybe after you did the laundry or maybe after you went grocery shopping. Um, uh, when you're having a surgery, you go, oh, yeah, this is the most important thing. This I do first and this I do every day faithfully and twice a day and maybe even three times a day. And <clears throat> the curious thing is that... Uh, the learning that comes with it is, um, and the empowerment that comes with it is so delicious that honestly, if you, uh, for me, I just want to live in the love story. I want to live in the love story. I want that to be a uh, home base for me always. And, and you can just, when you work with the visualizations, you know, you can just take a deep breath, um, and, and, and see, that download of light and love and feel that download of light and love in your body and you get repositioned into home base again, which is um, just in in a breath. You can be there in a breath. And uh, it is the power of um, doing that um, relaxation meditation is that, like I say, you, you just flesh it out in the most beautiful way, especially if you're visual. Um, in the most beautiful way, you can just see it all happening. And then, you know, if Christmas comes and you have some grumpy, grumpy family, you can just, you can just take a breath and be home. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a beautiful, uh, you're only a breath away from home is really the truth. And how wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's a be- beautiful statement. I can add this, Patricia, that uh, little I've learned as a, a layman of neuroscience, that, that this famous phrase that neurons that fire together wire together. Mm-hmm. And so as you're accessing this state, of the love state, uh, then the neural pathways are deepening and, and becoming more accessible. And that's why it, it, it's cumulative as well. You know, you do it in the morning, but then there's a jarring incident or, you know, something that's agitating. And because the neural pathways have been deepened and broadened, you can go back faster. And uh, it's just, uh, I'm I'm wondering whether, uh, I just get entranced when Peggy leads a meditation, whether it might be rich for this program to have her lead a brief meditation. I would love that if you're willing, Peggy. Would you be willing to do that? Oh, I'd, I'd I'd be glad to. Um, do you want me to do it at the end so people can sign off with that, or what would be best for your timing with this, Nika? Um. So my intuition to, is saying to to do it now and then to see where that leads in the conversation because 
part of my goal in this work is to help people integrate this and mm-hmm. see that it's a part of how you do daily life. Mm-hmm. So then to, and how sharing this meditation together might deepen our conversation and allow us to go into places that we, that we're meant to share today. My one thought is that if any, if you had people who are listening while they're driving the car, this puts them into a deeply relaxed state and it's not safe to drive that way. And so that's why I'm sure you could have listeners who were uh, driving a tractor or a car and this actually wouldn't be good to do um, uh, because they won't realize they're getting in this deeply altered state that if it doesn't make them as alert on the road. I, this re- uh, relaxation, they can get it off my book's website and there's uh, Patricia's been urging me to, to, there's another one that I guided her and her sister through, which I'm going to record next week and we'll have up on my website. Okay. Uh, uh, so people can access what she's talking to, because the one that's there now is for can be used for anything, preparing for surgery or anything, because it doesn't me- mention surgery, but I'll be doing a more general one of just accessing and being centered in the flow of divine love. So maybe I feel safer doing that. Okay. Someone drive off the road. Okay, and we can also put in a, a disclaimer and just say, please, if you are driving, pull over. And oh, okay. Take the, take this time to meditate and refresh yourself, or turn it off and go back. Go to the website to find it. Well, I'm so? afraid though they might tune in in the middle of it and uh, okay. not get the disclaimer at the beginning. So I'm really okay. just trying to keep everyone safe. Let's do that. People yes. Profoundly relaxed. Let's do that and, then. Um. So there is one that you would feel comfortable doing now? Well, actually, I wouldn't because somebody might None be of them. tuning okay. in in the middle okay. of being on the road, and it it's, gets them in too gets them too relaxed. Um, is my so I think for general, be most conservative and safe for everyone. That everyone wants to do this when they're uh, able to tear or, or lying down, and uh, their eyes are closed, so they're safe. You know, I'm remembering what you were talking about, Nika, about native tribes and the sense of community. And about a year ago, I was asked to train some staff members of a tribe. There's a group of healthcare professionals who take care of the Passamaquoddy tribe in Maine. It's a, it's a very large tribe. And it was a two-day training there. And... The first night after the all-day training, I was trying to fall asleep, <clears throat> and I couldn't because I felt this extraordinary light pointing to me. And you will know when you've been really meditating and you just feel mm-hmm. high and wonderful. You can't go to sleep. You're so full of energy. You feel great. And it was 10 o'clock at night, and I wanted to go to sleep because I had to get up at 6 in the morning. And so <clears throat> I just asked up in the direction where I felt all this light pointing to me, what is going on? And I, I heard... Um, uh, I have a family member who is actually, actually my son who's on the other side who mm-hmm. passed away when he was 26 and I'm able to hear him talking to me and I said to my son, Sam, what is going on? And he said, Mom, there are a lot of native elders here on the other side who they know you can hear them and they, they want to teach through you to their tribe tomorrow. 
because they're really forgetting their old ways. Mm-hmm. And they w- don't want to let you go to sleep until you're promised to let them, uh, let you, to hear them, uh, because uh, the tribe, tribal members and the healthcare professionals need to keep reconnecting people to nature and the deep peace and harmony of nature that they're throwing away their old ways. They're not listening uh, to the elders on the other side. <clears throat> and it was so amazing. And then as I fell asleep, I said, all right, I, pr- I promise I'll listen to them tomorrow and let the information come through if they'll just let me go to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> they said, they said, okay, that, that, that's a, a deal. And with that, this big white feather floated down in this stream of light. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. And when I went, the next morning when I went into the training, the director of the health center, her back was turned to me, and on the back of her jacket were two white feathers, and it was the symbol of their of the Passamaquoddy tribe. Oh, wow. Which I hadn't known. But, but you were talking about how the tribal communities are so grounded in, in, in this level of community and support and yet um, I was being told that they're forgetting the deep essence of it. It's uh, The modern culture and all the electronic devices are just sweeping away, which is what uh, the most precious thing they have, which is this deep connection to oneness and spirit. Yes, and the assumption. And so I think it's very powerful when someone comes again from the dominant culture and says we can update what we're teaching you to include the greater wisdom that you have. Mm-hmm. Yes, ex- exactly. And that's what, and I told them in that morning when I came in, I said, I have to tell you what happened to me last night. I was trying to go to sleep. And uh, they were also relieved to hear me just say out loud that I could hear my son talking to me on the side because they would hear that with elders but pretend they couldn't because they didn't know if they could talk about it normally. Uh, so it just reinforced what was natural for them, but which they were reluctant to talk about because it wasn't in the so-called white man uh, culture. Right, and it's actually um, one of the things that you do talk about in in the article that I was reading from earlier is, oh, can somebody's making noise in the background? Um, is that many of us have access to this world and many of us as children have had experiences or as young people have had experiences that would be called mystic or divine or depending on what part of the culture you come from, psychotic. Where we do hear our elders speak to us, where we do have connection to the ancestors and I've heard uh, Melodoma Somme actually talks to Westerners and says, well, you know, in my culture we call on our ancestors. In your culture people seem very reluctant to do that, but I think that's because we see ancestors as the people who've come before us egos, not as their essence. And if we're calling on their essence and we're responding to their essence, we work together to create a world that's healthy, not just individuals, but a world and a community that's healthy. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I like to talk about it so openly, to normalize it, because I found when I was helping people prepare for surgery, there's a part where I asked them to think of a person 
or pet who's easy to love. Mm-hmm. And I found in the workshops that I was giving that 65% of Americans, and I'd say, oh, and you can think of someone who's, who's passed away is fine. And I found 65% of people after giving these workshops for 20 years would say, when I just normalized, say, oh, I, well, I'm talking to my husband who's on the other side. I hear him easily. And so they, uh, as they saw me just make it normal, they all would just admit this was happening. And so that's where I discovered so many people are talking to a loved one on the other side, but they're afraid to, to tell family members or afraid they'll be considered crazy when actually it's quite, I discovered it was just normal. And I think that's fascinating because it calls into question our whole assumption of, of us, certain kinds of reality that we're forced to participate in and how much... I think part of what we hold in our bodies, too, is that wisdom that we are taught to disconnect from. It would be fascinating to use this with children. Yes, and and, and I had the experience that when my son was five and a half, he began to, he had total recall of where he had come from before he came to Earth. Mm. And his father the psychiatrist and he said mom we can't tell dad he'll never understand <laughs> and he'd say mom where I come from it's all love there's not much love here uh, and he remembered the dimension he'd come from and the love that was there and it, he'd um, I'd give him the name of a client who he'd never seen or met and he could just tell me what was going on with him physically spiritually and emotionally uh, or if he'd come home from school, uh, he I'd be driving to school, actually. He'd be, and he'd tell us, Mom, why do people go to school here where I'm from? We're born knowing everything. Don't they do that here? He, here became Earth. I became the interpreter of Earth. Uh, so I learned a tremendous amount from my son of just what he remembered uh, and would describe it and talk so easily about it. So it, it, it stretched me in ways I just loved being opened up to. Well, and it's fascinating if we'll listen how, how much we can hear and how, from a heart-centered place, how basic telepathy is, or what's called telepathy, how you can intuit, the, the depths of nonverbal communication. And when you come from that place of oneness and connectedness, it's a very powerful place to create from. Yes, it's the, it is the most powerful place. And I know in, in, many, in many indigenous traditions, becoming a shaman involves health crises. And I think it's because it pulls us out of I think it was um, Jude who was saying earlier the daily coping of all the things we have to do every day and how they take over our lives. And then when we have this event that really focuses us and we have an opportunity to reintegrate that into our lives and how do we then move forward. Exactly. And well, that doesn't stop, does it? Every day you have a choice and it's a practice. And this is the practice. This is it. You know, staying in the love story, this is the practice. 
and um, you know there are many ways to the center but um, finding your way is the most important thing it's the true identity and uh, living from that place is what uh, is what um, makes all the difference in the choices that we make I remember reading in your, in your book, Peggy, about when you said to a woman to surround herself or to feel someone she loved, and that she had not felt that in this lifetime. Yes, that was interesting. As a woman who was preparing for heart surgery, and she raised her hand when I was giving a talk in New York and said, well, what do you do if you've never felt loved? And I said, well, just... Imagine what that would feel like. And she didn't skip a beat and said, oh, okay. So she knew how to imagine it uh, and, and, and did that. And I thought it was fascinating that her problem was her physical heart. Mm-hmm. But she, she could imagine what that would be like to be surrounded in love because there is, we have all come from another dimension. We've come into human bodies. We're souls that have dived into this had this earth, earthly experience, and we've come from another dimension. And there's a deeper part of us that does remember that and does know it, and it's always there and can be tapped in and accessed. And it's wonderful when you were talking about speaking to your son, both as he was incarnated and afterwards, how nurturing that is for us to allow those events to happen and to integrate them and to not confront the psychiatrist with them, but also not internalize that negation of that wisdom. And I think it's a struggle for some people. I think that that can be a source of of some of the illness that we see and some of the addiction is to not honor those places. Yes, and I found when my son passed away, the enormous comfort I got from him talking to me on the other side, because I'd be crying and crying, got really depressed and to a point almost suicidal. And he would just, he'd say, Mom, Mom, feel me, I'm all love. Mm. He's saying this from the other side. Well, uh, feel me, you can feel this way too. You don't have to die to feel this. He'd say, just raise your vibration. He'd probably say it <laughs> a day from the other side I say well that's easy for you to say you're in a dimension that's all love I'm sitting here missing you that's easy for you to say and then I would have, I'd have arguments with him <laughs> on the other side I'd say well mom just do it and then as I'd just do it and get to a high vibration I would um, shift, out, shift out of it into love and I went oh my goodness I don't feel the grief in this dimension and it literally mm-hmm. saved my life because I either was in the deep grief of what I was going through as a mother whose son had died suddenly, mm-hmm. or uh, I was in my soul where my soul is love, and in that dimension there is no grief. So it was just unbelievably uh, helpful for me. It's like what I need to hear, but he was, he was my coach through the whole thing. Isn't that great? I remember I had an event like that with my godfather who I was very close to and who I adored. And he died and I was out hiking and complaining about how much I missed him. And he said, oh, I'm right here. And I started jumping up and down. I said, your body is not here. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's like, yes, but the rest of me is, and I love you, and I'm here, and it's okay. <laughs> um, but I love that your son came from a place where it's pure love, and he could just say, just go to the love. Yes. And there's so much. When you, Do you still talk to your godfather? Every day. I introduce oh, him to people. Wonderful. I take him to parties. <laughs> oh. We went to a Day of the Dead party last year in 2014. I didn't want to go. And he said, well, I want to go. So I took his picture oh. and we went down because we were supposed to talk about somebody. And I introduced him. I said, well, my godfather's here with me. And people said to me, but I thought he was dead. I said, well, he is dead, but he's also here. And it was kind of a little cultural <laughs> gap for them. <laughs> but yeah. that's marvelous because it is true. And people who are having that experience of hearing a loved one on the other side, to hear more people talk about it and to, to validate the experience. Because have you found this, Nika? I find uh, my son will give me enormous advice. Because oh, he say, you know, Mom, I can see the whole picture. I, I can see what... They can see what's going to happen before it happens. So their advice is phenomenal. Have you had that experience? Yes, and the, and the amount of support. You know, when I feel alone in life or when I feel like I don't know what I'm doing or I'm trying to create something new, and it's like, well, we're here. We love you. You know, let, let me help you. Or just And just the, even more than advice, the resting back into that, ah, uh, Um, the sense that that I am a beloved of all that is in the universe, that we all are. But but to move back there and to know that that and to act from that place is a, is I don't talk about it very often, but you know, and I'll ask and please show me the next step. Mm-hmm. And I used to pray for strength, and I thought, hmm, how about praying for love and, and wisdom now? <laughs> you know, to get through life, but also uh, other attributes and for our, how to articulate. And I do feel that there is um, such support right now that I feel that there is such support to connect from this loving level to the planet. Yes. And see the planet as a living being that can heal if we hold her in love. Yes, and what is the small percentage of people that need to be dwelling in the love that if just a small percentage of us would do it, we could flip the whole collective unconscious of the planet into that state? Wouldn't that be wonderful? There is some small percentage that if they just would be dwelling in love, that it would flip the whole rest of it, because we're all part of a oneness. And, and then why don't you talk about it more often about your godfather? Because it it, that's interesting, because my son will just tell me, you know, go ahead and say this. Like right now in this interview, he said, Mom, go ahead and talk about it. Uh, and I, I listen to when he says it's all right to talk about it, and when it's not, because there are times it's definitely not all right. Right. If right. I were speaking at Grand Rounds at a hospital, I wouldn't talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> Too many people would go, oh, my God, she's lost it. Right, right, and then discredit the, the, the small 
the pieces that you're trying to get to lure them in to pay attention to the big picture. <laughs> yes. So what are your reasons for not talking about this? Because you experience this so deeply, and you're talking about it could help so many people just allow themselves to experience what they're already feeling but pushing away. It's a good question. One of the one of the reasons is is I have a day job where I'm an IT network engineer. No, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to keep your day job? I understand. Right, and so I think it would very much overshoot some of the people's I work with reality. But I also think that there's um, a little bit of judgment there. That. Um, that maybe, and so I do m in more private occasions bring it up. Uh, and I often, um, I did talk about it when I went to New York. I also do ecstatic trance work. And in New York, I um, had set up several, several events. And I went to one, and I got there, and I said, nobody's here. And the spirits all said, but we're here. Wow. So I said, oh, at first of all, I was terribly embarrassed to have not acknowledged them. I thought, well, okay, I'll edit that. There's no embodied people here at the moment. But I did a whole trance session then with the spirits, which was a very powerful experience. Mm -hmm. And I told people, people said, who came? And I said, well, no people came, no physical people came, but the spirits all came. And I had this amazing spirit new, uh, um, experience in New York where I talk to the spirit of the island and the ocean and the whales and the creatures who used to live there and the creatures who did live there and the subways and it was a very about four hours it was a very powerful um experience for me um, oh how remarkable oh it was beautiful and they were so present and they're so sweet and i find i find in times in my life when things are difficult, if I do something, and I find they very often come in, in times of um, being physically active. Mm -hmm. And at one point I lived near a, a sacred place that was being neglected, and I would go clean it up. There was fishing line and trash, and, and I would go pick it up, and the spirits of the place would come talk to me and pat my cheeks and give me advice. <laughs> It was very sweet, and it was like, that's really interesting. I thought, you know, it came through prayer. And I'm like, no, if you go clean up, you know, do your daily care that they'll, that they'll come. So, and I, and I guess because I grew up in a, in a family where you didn't talk about those things. You experienced them, but you didn't talk about them. How did you know the others in your family experienced it? Well, I knew my dad did because we had it non-verbally. Uh, mm -hmm. and my godfather because that was very strong and always very present and my mother was very frightened of it um, so I guess it was mostly my father and then his family my aunt, you'd walk into my aunt's store and she'd say, didn't you hear me thinking about you? why did you take so long to come here? oh, how wonderful yeah, she was very open about it <laughs> so, um, but I think and I think that it's but I think when you're open about it it gives people a space to talk about it 
and to feel it and to know it and to know that they that they live from that place. Well, don't you think that this is the true meaning of oneness? Yes. That we are so connected to this side and to the other. And that there's no real division there, that we that we mm-hmm. And I think that goes back again to the place of choice. Like Patricia was talking about with the the neural wiring or that we can set this as the new normal where we acknowledge that we are a participant in that. We are children of the mm-hmm. universe and holy mm-hmm. here. Holy with both spellings. <laughs> you know, some, this is Patricia again. Something that I've been very moved by and actually experiencing it right now is the power of, I feel so connected to the three of you on this call and also psychically to those who maybe will be listening. Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating how uh, in, the, in the teleseminars that I've taught and, and with my sister Barbara, who's very powerful in generating this field, uh, I would call it the resonant field. But it's so fascinating that on the teleseminars that reach all around the world, so there are people from Japan and you know uh, Australia and New Zealand, as well as most of them are uh, in the States and especially California, but I've heard people say, I have many uh, in small groups. We, we, we can listen in. We tell them we listen into the small groups to see how people are doing when we uh, break into small groups. And um, I've heard them say, several people say, I have many friends, something like this, close friends. And I never talk as intimately as to two other people, a group of three, that I have no idea where you live. I've never met you and I can't see you. But I guess I'm leading up to saying that it, it's uh, also non-temporal, but it's it's non-local, mm-hmm. this field. And that it is available when you're in it. I think it is a, a harmonic or coherence. Then you can connect in, in uh, soul ways with others that... It rarely happens in the normal social interchange, even if you're in, with a, with people that you're very fond of or are affectionate. Between you, there's affection between you. There's something that's so uh, beautiful in this field. You know the the, the poetry of uh, the line of Rumi, the the two lines. You know, beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And I think we're meeting there now, and and as will the Mm -hmm. listeners. Well, there's such an intimacy uh, when you're connecting from your essence. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you experience it when you go to silent retreats where, you know, you meet one another in silence and in your essence. And then when the silence is over and everybody goes back to personality. <laughs> it, you know? It's true. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 my, my husband's a very much an intellectual. Daniel Ellsberg, you may have heard of him, you know, the peace activist. Mm-hmm. And, and uh-huh. I, I got him to go to one group with the, uh, um, the uh, one with Peter uh, Levine of 
you know, kind of a year to live. And we went through, met once a month and over a year with the idea that how are you going to live being aware that you are going to die, not at the end of the year, but, you know, we, we have mm-hmm. this sense of immortality or get swept up in the day-to-day things. So it was a fantastic group, and we talked with a talking stick. And then at the end of the year, we all had a kind of celebration party. And and my husband, who's not a spiritual this way, he's more a Gandhian, and his, his spiritual practice is civil disobedience and getting arrested. But he said, <laughs> this party, he said, this is just nothing like our group. He said, let's have another party <laughs> celebrating uh, the end of the year where we talk with a talking stick. <laughs> and oh, we, nice. we did. And it was so much deeper. And mm-hmm. he was saying to me, you know, your friends, they're incredibly profound. Uh, what is, who are they? Uh, but at the party afterwards, they were just, you know, in their egos being lovely and then when we went back to that resonant field coming from a more coherent, mm-hmm. deeper, higher place, that same brilliance and profundity came out. So it's very, it's a social protocol too. Um, mm-hmm. and, sure. and what I'm, just one more thing is I've been studying some with a, a Patricia Albert, somebody you might want to interview, mm-hmm. A-L-B-E-R-E, and she, she's leading us in mutual awakening. Because what she says is, yes, there's this beautiful path that we've all, all of us on this path, whatever form it takes, have been on. Uh, but there's also an equally creative dynamic when you're with another, being present to what's coming through when you're in that coherent state together. What's the we space? And it's fascinating. And it's it's new and it's more. That sounds very interesting. It would be a really interesting place if we could get our international leaders to go to this place. Oh. Well, you know the, the Einstein quote, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we, we created, created them. Yeah. And, and I think that's true in our personal lives, what we've been talking about. But in the world the worst, narrowest self-interest, ego, power, greed, you know, comes out in the, in the, in the nation state and the big institutions. And, and, and I'm working with my sister, Barbara Marks Hubbard, on, on creating over the years, incrementally um, going towards 2020, uh, a planetary awakening in love, connecting the co-creators to be in synergy and to to show the emergent world that comes from this state of thinking and being. And it's radically different. And and needed. And needed. And creative and joyful. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite amazing how you look at the world and there's such so much to be in despair about. But then you connect to this field by yourself, with, with, with the divine, or, and with others, and, with, and co-create in that way. And uh, it's heaven on earth. Um, I would like to go back to Peggy. Um, you saying that there are uh, numbers that, um, you know, uh, that a very few people um, extending love into the world uh, can overcome 
an enormous amount of darkness. And um, I think that uh, that knowledge, um, I read it in um, in the book Power Versus Force, and uh, the, the uh, thing that impacted me was the practice of loving kindness that, you know, three or four people sitting in a circle extending loving kindness to the world can overshadow thousands of people living in negativity and darkness. And it's uh, very, you don't think, you know, the logical mind doesn't get that, but the heart and soul get it so that when you sit in a group of three or four extending uh, loving kindness and love to the world or sharing this information or living this information, um, it does make a difference and it can. I do believe, I'm right with you, Peggy, I do believe it can flip consciousness. It can flip consciousness. And so and we, we, we... We literally flip into what's real, which is what's real right. is that love. Uh, so it's 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 um it's it's quite amazing and that that's really what I'm interested in is how we can how we can do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Do you have suggestions? Well, I have a project I'm doing that I can't talk about until I've done it. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to well, do it first to 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 do that. But um, I think the more we all can live in the state, the more we live in the state and affect the whole field of love. Mm-hmm. And I might add that the Prepare for Surgery Heal Faster protocol is precisely that. And, um, you know, people um, are quite pleasantly surprised to discover it. And it is uh, one of the reasons I find it so powerful and I'm so interested in uh, sharing it with people who are uh, preparing for surgery. I think it is definitely a protocol that takes people right home to themselves and uh, is very powerful in that way. Have you experienced doing that in uh, in a community, say Peggy, when you were in ICU with your brother or Jude or anybody, when you're working with that protocol, does that change the environment around you? Do you feel like there's a, a, a shift in other people's energy, even if they're not conscious of what you're doing? Yes. Um, they would They would definitely affect those around me. They didn't know why or what was happening, because mm-hmm. I had to very deliberately stay mm-hmm. in that, that, that uh, centered place. First, just keep myself out of fear. It was, it was, mm-hmm. and then, but then it would shift all of those around me. I'd see people come in the room and, and act, act differently, and I wasn't acting out of fear, but out of that place. So I got a much better response from the nurses and the doctors. It was very easy to see because there are times I'd lose it and be in the fear and then I'd watch how everyone would would react very badly when I was in in a bad state. And that's amazing because that's such a structured environment that you could have such an influence there and how attuned I think we are to one another even within the social constructs. Yes, I felt it very powerfully. It was very obvious. Well, and I might add that the the power of the uh, 
relaxation CD that you have done in the the, uh, the relaxation that is done in groups um, really just takes people home to themselves. You know, it is it is kind of like um, uh, you know you have to really be fighting it not to come home to yourself. And there, you know, the power of the surgery looming ahead is uh, very motivational to take this uh, guided meditation very seriously. And um, I think it does take people to a place of peace and essence that, you know, I'm sure is uh, a beautiful experience that they don't want to let go of. I know I didn't and I don't. There was a research study that was done at a Harvard teaching hospital, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. The chief of medicine said, well, this is great for preparing for surgery, but how could this help patients who are hospitalized? So they did a randomized controlled trial where they gave uh, those patients my relaxation CD to listen to and help them take their biggest worry. These are mostly patients who have been readmitted to the hospital for reoccurrence of cancer. So they're a very anxious group. And they helped them come up with their end results and had them listen to my relaxation CD twice a day compared to the control group that just had standard care in the hospital. And they found that it did uh, reduce anxiety in those patients, reduced use of medication for anxiety, and had a significant increase in heart rate variability, meaning it lowered their heart rate, which is a, a good thing. So there was that study that, that documented it. And then a nurse at Brigham and Women's Hospital, the other big Harvard teaching hospital, did a fascinating thing. She had taken my training. She worked in ICU. And she said she often had patients who had been overly medicated, heavily medicated, which caused them to become psychotic and to try to start hitting her. And so she took my relaxation CD, and she had it ready. And when someone became psychotic, rather than giving them more medicine, she'd quickly turn on the CD. She'd put it in a place where they couldn't knock it off the wall, on, on, off the table, <laughs> and play it. And she said within 10 minutes, the person would have fallen asleep. So she, Because uh-huh. so it, it would shift them out of their personality, which was in fear, in, into this deep inner peace, which is their essence. Exactly. That's what it does. How beautiful. And I... Sounds like that this this process is a way of planting seeds because as people say to their family, will you hold me in love? Will you think of me this way? This is what I'm mm-hmm. doing. That we start spreading the possibility of intentionality and reconnection and healing. Indeed it does, yes. To create whatever it that does. number is of us that could, that could turn it. I know there's the hundred monkey, but I don't know if... if if we're more than monkeys, if our population density is more than that. But. Well, Nika, people well, would find it life-changing because be, there was a woman whose husband was an atheist, and he said, well, I don't believe in, in that. She mm-hmm. said, well, but could I get all of our family and friends to wrap you in love for the half hour before surgery just so I can do it? He said, well, sure, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. We've always let each other have our completely different beliefs. So she got all of the friends and family to wrap him in a blanket of love for the half hour before surgery while he was in the holding area. But she really went to town because she really wanted to have it have an effect, and she got about 50 people to do this. 
And he just looked at her and said, oh, I feel it. She said, well, what do you feel? She said, oh, I feel so loved. Oh. She said, he said, I, oh. And he was just melting. And he said, oh, my goodness. And he is now able to keep reconnecting this feeling because really it was just bringing him home to his essence. And she said, well, darling, you can keep feeling this any time. It's always there. It's you. And so now he's able to access this any time, and she has a much better marriage as a result. Well, I think it's fascinating because one of the things I really appreciated about what you've done, Peggy, is it's so non-denominational that it, anybody who has resistance to whatever language that they're resisting for whatever reason doesn't have to go there. You know, it's very... Yes, exactly. It's fine for an atheist. Right. You don't have to use that. Mm-hmm. My mother had a friend who, when he was having surgery, he said, please send me twogs. I said, what are What's twogs? That? Thoughts without God. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can send you're a dedicated atheist. We can send you thoughts without God. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Because <laughs> whatever that image was to him was not comfortable. But doesn't... Usually that, I think that image is not about the essence. It's it's about, as it were, the ego of the religion or the the political in, in, incarnation of the religion, not the essence or the connection. Isn't it amazing that we're we've all come from a dimension that's all love into this earthly dimension to have the experiences we're having, and so much of our culture has gotten away from where we've come from. It's like, imagine if you tried to invent this, say you're going to be loved, but you're going to go to a dimension where there is no love or very little, and you're going to forget where you've come from. I mean, isn't this incredible design? It is. And what an adventure. The love you are. Uh, And to rediscover it. What is it? As a In the most curious way. And waking up really is just remembering who you already are. And I, I guess uh-huh. we go through many, many lifetimes. And when we don't wake up, we keep coming back trying to get it, do it again. And it, it's always, uh, it reminds me of it. There's this marvelous woman who is in Santa Fe, and she had, she was a chiropractor, and she had terminal lung cancer and she was in hospice and she was doing a course in miracles every day and there's the part where you really learn to talk to God and she said well God what's going to happen to me when I die and God said you're going to be a helpless infant born to clueless parents (laughs) (laughs) and she said oh no and with that she said God I'm just connecting to you directly and she just connected and said, God, I have so much pain in my lungs, you're going to have to breathe every breath. And so she, as she did this, the pain went away, but she had to very deliberately stay connected to God to relieve the pain. And shortly afterwards, she got a phone call from a friend, and here she is in hospice saying, do you want to go hiking? <laughs> and she said, sure, come pick me up. So they went up, to, drove up the trailhead, and she was able to walk maybe 100 feet. 
and then she said, oh, I have to go back to hospice. But she stayed con- vigilantly connected to God. And at the end of two weeks, one of the doctors said, you know, you're getting better. She said, yeah, I know. He said, well, if you keep getting better, you're going to graduate from hospice. And when I met her, it was six months later. It's now two and a half years later. And she's still fine because she just knows how to stay at this dimension. Wow. Wow. So maybe part of it's uh, healing our beliefs that the dimensions are separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the way we're talking, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's how we necessarily experience it. Remember, I went back to the school that I'd gone to growing up in, in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and I asked I said I want to teach something that I wish I had been taught. Uh, the school never taught me. And I said I wanted to show, and I said I wanted to work with the girls of the school who were uh, eight years old because I thought they were still close enough. I said I wanted, we only, I wish I'd been taught that I was love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was about history and math and French. <laughs> and, and the headmistress said, yes, come on back. And, and she had talked to the, teachers of those eight-year-olds and said they'd love to do it. How much time do you need? I said, well, how about for about two hours every morning for a week? So we'd meet as a group, and I'd show the children how to get deeply relaxed and I'd ask them to think of a time they felt very loved. And some would say, well, my grandparents are here at Christmas. I feel so loved. Or my mother reads me a story at night when she tucks me into bed. They all had these wonderful times where they felt really loved. And then I showed them how to connect to that love anytime they wanted to. And they got it so quickly and so easily because they hadn't been brainwashed enough yet by our culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They still remember. They, were, they still could easily, like, oh, of course, this is the most natural thing for them. There was no resistance. One, one girl had a terrible headache, so I would ask her to sit in the middle of the circle and then the group of children would send her love for five minutes, wrap her in a blanket of love. And she'd say, I said, want to raise your hand when your headache's gone. And in about three minutes, she'd raise her hand and smile, I'm fine now. Wow. But I'd love to create this so it could be, but probably it couldn't be taught in schools because all those religious groups would come out and say, you can't do this. But it really is what we need to be taught, what's the truth. And it's in different religions, but it's not in our culture. Right. And it's not part of, of how we do life. And instead, we're taught all these other funny things that, yeah. And kil- children learn that so quickly. I When I taught four, five, and six-year-olds, who we were so connected to that space, and they'd be in the middle of a squabble. And they'd say, well, well come up, you're running up with their argument. And I'd say, well... You know, wow, that sounds like a dilemma, but you guys are such good friends. I'm sure you could work it out. And they would immediately shift into their hearts and look at each other like, oh, I remember you. It was fascinating. And then they'd go work it out. It was really uh, an amazing experience to have them 
you know, move out of mimicking some of the adults they'd seen into this place of grace or essence, or they would just say, oh yeah, well. And usually it was with both of them becoming much more generous, that that was their innate response. This is Patricia, you know there's a movement that's really getting widespread, as, as I'm sure you know, of mindfulness in the mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. And it is making, uh, I know people that are involved in it, it's making a tremendous difference. And, and one one uh, acquaintance who was a teacher of this said that, that when she came back to the class, you know, on a regular basis, and one of the young children said, well, you know, I found my father's gun and I was mad at my brother. And and then I just took these deep breaths and I put the gun wow. back. I mean, it, it's it's stunning, the power of what we're talking about, what you're talking about. And mindfulness is another one of those ways of getting in that isn't, you know, uh, mm-hmm. loaded with uh, theology that causes uh, people to feel different and and antagonistic, but it's so beautiful. And in ways, it's such a simple, a simple choice. Well, we're sort of coming, winding down here, and um, I would love uh, to invite you to close up a little bit, Peggy, in a way that honors this and kind of seals it. Um, with perhaps a a vision for the future of how we all come together to bring this more into the world. Oh, what an invitation. (laughs) It would be for for everyone to just recall it, think of someone they love who's easy to love or a person or a pet and to feel their love for them and if they feel their love for them, that it just centers them in their heart, in their essence, it is love. And that that is always there, who they are is always there for them to come home to and live out of that. And that as more and more of us do that, more and more of the time, it can become heaven on earth. It's how it's meant to be. That's very beautiful. We have been talking with Jude Simmons, Patricia Elberg, Ellsberg, and Peggy Huddleston. Um, and Peggy can be reached at her website, healfaster.com, uh, the relaxation and healing CD, and the instructional CD, Prepare for Surgery, Heal Faster and basically how to move back into your heart and live from your essence. I want to thank you all very much for joining us today. This interview has been a great gift. Thank you. Thank you, Nika. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.